Hi, I'm Gail Simone, and I write things for a living. Things like Wonder Woman, Birds of Prey, Batgirl, uh, Red Sonia, video games, film, consulting work, Seven Days for Lion Forge, etc. And uh, I'm just a nerd, just like you guys. You're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler nice. Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, this one's pretty special. I know I say that every time because <laughs> they all are special in their own way. They all are. But they all are. Few have been on that have, in my mind, literally changed the industry in the last 20 years. And this person definitely did that. Yes. She has, she is a force to be reckoned with in her own right. And she has, I I believe, changed the way people think about Birds of Prey. Yeah. Batgirl, Wonder Woman. Her work on Red Sonia is uh, be quickly becoming definitive. Yep. And that is Gail Simone, isn't it? That is. That is. And as you heard in Kendrick's intro, she just got the best welcome back in the show history. So <laughs> really, <laughs> really, that was the best welcome back we've ever had. And oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Gail was amazing. I, I, as people who've listened to the show for a long time, know I'm a big fan of Gail Simone. I mean, yeah. I've talked to her a couple times at shows with the kids. Uh, she's always been super great to the kids and talking to me and stuff. And, um, her work on birds of prey and Batgirl are just phenomenal. And her, you know, her wonder woman stuff is great. Her, if you haven't read her secret six stuff, which wasn't, which is a short series is, is really, really good. And, uh, we tried to get her on in the past and Dude, we got Conan her on now. wonder woman. If you haven't read yeah. that, you need to go back and read that. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. You will be like, Oh, this just blew my mind. Yeah. It's yeah. so she's, good. She's fantastic at what she does. And we had a great time talking with her. Yeah. Yeah. She was awesome. She was amazing to talk with. Matter of fact, uh, before we get into it, because if we start talking about her and what we just <laughs> talked about, we'll give you everything. So why don't we just get into it right now? What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's listen to Gail Simone. All right, guys, welcome back. And today we're super excited uh, because I don't know if, if she knows this, but we've reached out to her in the past, but we reached out to her when we had about two episodes under our belt. So <laughs> that probably didn't go well, but if you've read birds of prey and maybe welcome to tranquility or the red Sonia or my favorite wonder woman and Conan, then you know exactly who we're talking to Gail. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, I'm so glad to be here talking with you guys, talking about my favorite subject, comic books and all things nerdy. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I got my first question is super hard. Is 1974 the greatest year ever? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it's my birth year. I'm just curious what you think of 1974. <laughs> <laughs> it's my sister's birth year, too. So that, that is pretty great. There you, see, there you go. <laughs> How is everything yeah, going? Today they brought another ginger into the world. 
right? I, my <laughs> beard comes in quite red, so. And I had red hair growing up. It's kind of gone dark brown now with some specks of gray, but. Um, oh, traitorous. Yeah, yeah. But when I was like 12, <laughs> it was it was red, you know. <laughs> Not your red, but pretty close to that. I don't know how to. It's like, because I was like stark blonde yeah. as a little kid. You know, and then it turned red and then it turned brown, which is, yeah. I don't know That's why. That's the color wheel of hair. Yeah. Is it? Hey, mine's, mine's gray. Mine's fully gray. So I know he's the youngest one here and he's already gray, gray. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, that's wisdom hairs. <laughs> I like it. how old you are. They're, they, they reflect wisdom. <laughs> that's having five kids hair. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <I was just laughs> don't take the kids. towel to the bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he tried dyed his hair like two months ago. Was it like two oh, months man. ago? It looked. Yeah. I, I as soon as he showed me, I just started laughing because it 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 looked like Lego hair. It did. You know what I mean? It and it was, was so funny. He ended up just buzzing his head. It was awesome. It's all yeah. good. During quarantine, there's two kinds of hair. There is experiment. It's time to experiment hair, and there's I'm not doing a goddamn thing hair, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so Gail, before we get into too much, you got some omnibuses coming out right now within the next couple months. Yeah. Yes. I'm like celebration time because I'm always, I love the omnibuses that come out. They're always done so beautifully and to have one come out that's Wonder Woman, you know, whether it's me or not is pretty amazing because I never yeah. thought that would happen in my lifetime. So I got get really excited about that. But then to have one come out that's, the stories that I wrote for Wonder Woman just a really, you know, it's awesome. Surreal moments, a proud moment, a excited moment, all those things mixed together because it's just something that, you know, you don't even dare to dream about when you're a kid happening. Yeah. And um, then the Red Sonia one that came out too is absolutely stunning. And that, and Red, Red Sonia turned out to be one of the joys of my life in terms of writing her character. And it's something that I didn't want to do and resisted doing for years because I wasn't, didn't think I was interested. Yeah. So, you know, when that came out, it was kind of like, ah, jokes on you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> what, what, once you started Red Sonia, what made you fall in love with that character? I just, you know, I really, love wonder woman and i love writing wonder woman and i yeah. could write wonder woman if i had the opportunity till the end of my days um but when you write red sonia there's something else at least for me that happens in that they couldn't be more opposite in terms of red sonia is very much from the earth is how i look at her and yeah. so when i'm writing her i want to be able to you know, feel the dirt that's crusted in her fingernails, uh, the dried blood on her, you know, face from getting punched by from somebody or, you know, the, the mud soaked, dried, caked hair, you know, all of those things. And then just the, the absolute um, uh, react, emotional reaction that she has in terms of it being very, um, uh, there's no pretenses up let's put it that way yeah. and with wonder woman she's beautiful and and thoughtful and educated and all those and don't get me wrong red sonia is brilliant as well she's completely and, and strong and fierce and capable and all of those things but they're completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of how i think of them when i write them and being able to write a character that's just so much grounded and so much of the earth is just delight for me yeah i for me it was like when you look at wonder woman you never believe that she's gonna lose the fight you know what i mean she's she's like because she's it's wonder woman <laughs> she's like uh, she's like the ultimate badass in so many ways like watching when i watched bvs the first time i watched it and you see wonder woman and she's fighting uh, I, I guess that was supposed to be, uh, what's his name? Doomsday. Yeah, Doomsday. Even though it's just kind of odd the way. That, anyway, it doesn't matter. But when she's <laughs> fighting Doomsday, I felt like, why is Batman and Superman even there? She's clearly able to beat this thing if she wants to, you know. And every yeah. time I read a Wonder Woman comic, I, I like the, I, I like the ebb and flow of the book. I love her as a character, so she's always fun to read. 
but I always, you know, it's like reading a Superman comic book. I never believe that he's going to lose in any way, you know, even if he gets beat on one level. I don't, you know, Red Sonia, I always feel like she's just a, an ordinary girl that is just amazing. You know what I mean? She's, well, she has extraordinary skills for sure. Yeah, she has extraordinary um, skills, but she but could with lose. Woman, with Wonder Woman, I don't look at her as um, she can never lose. I yeah. look at her as these fights and these things that she has to go after to protect people who aren't able to protect themselves they still have a cost yeah her you know and and that's a little bit of a a loss when you look at it that way um it's going to cost something in the end but i understand about the power dynamics i understand what you're saying and yeah and being able to to write a character on both ends of that is just really super fun and i'm so honored and and delighted that i've had that opportunity that's awesome so what drew you to comics did were were you like me six years old found my brother's stash and that was it (laughs) well yes and no (laughs) um what drew me to comics was probably i was um i for those of you who don't know i grew up on a very isolated dairy farm small dairy farm outside of a very tiny town in oregon so there was a lot of chore. The television reception was shitty. Usually my grandfather had either golf and, you know, or bowling or news on, you know, things that I thought were really boring and was interesting. Right. And, and, and so I didn't watch much TV. My um, thing was reading and telling stories and getting lost, you know, in that because it rains a lot in Oregon. Um, Excuse me, but one day, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just storming or all the tours were done, if it was a holiday, I just really don't remember that. But um, I was watching the syndicated Batman show and I was reading all the bam, pow uh, things to my little brother. And um, I think I was about six, maybe. And Batgirl came on screen. And, you know, first of all, I was watching something that had a lot of color, was very vibrant, was completely different from my life on the farm. And, you know, I had in school, I was the only redheaded kid in my school. I got made fun of. I liked to read. You know, I was from a farm. It was just, you know, got teased a lot. And Batgirl came on screen and there she was, super brilliant, kick ass didn't take shit from anyone yeah and i was just completely blown away and i literally it was life-changing for me at that young age i literally went to school the next day and um stood up taller fought back more raised my hand more in class wasn't afraid to show that i was smart and that i had read and knew some things you know and um didn't take it as hard when people made fun of me for that yeah. Uh, after seeing Batgirl. So, you know, representation, seeing yourself on screen, it really can have a profound effect. And it did for me at a really young age. Um, and then I learned that she came from comic books, but I really didn't get into the actual comic book thing. There was no comic book store anywhere close to where I lived. The nearest one was like two hours away. Yeah. That just wasn't going to happen. And um, so I could either get them at garage sales, which is what happened with, um, I ran into a justice league issue, um, that had wonder woman on the cover. And I'd already become really frustrated with a lot of the fairy tales and and books that I was reading because the female protagonist always had to have her adventures accidentally happen. Never proactive. And even though I didn't have the words for that, then it really was bothering me and seeing Batgirl be proactive was a huge deal. And then you have Wonder Woman come along and, you know, that's even a huger deal. And I'm from a dysfunctional family and watching the Justice League, you know, work on problem solving together and and, um, be kind of some sort of a found family meant a lot to me as well. And I didn't understand comic book numbering. I didn't know, you know, any of that stuff. I just knew I love this character and I love this way of reading uh, stories. Yeah. And so then, you know, I learned that my cousin had a few comics here and there. And so I'd read and I started getting more interested in comics that were in the newspaper and, and things like that. But it wasn't until 
probably high school when I could really, you know, get a hold of comics on any kind of regular basis. I just read everything and still do, but you know, and I, yeah. I write in a lot of different mediums, but comic comic writing is still my favorite. That's awesome. You've done some movies too. I have. Yeah. I'm I've looking up. You've had... on some now. Yeah. I've done some animation. I've done some video game stuff. It's all different ways to tell stories. And I get really excited by all of them. Yeah. What's, uh, when you go back and you look at where you started and what you have going on now and the amount of people that follow you on Twitter and social media and all that kind of stuff, does it kind of blow you away that this this girl from Oregon was able to make it all the way to where you're at today and being able to share the stories that you love and bring forth, like you said, you know, representation is super important. And I 100% agree with that. That's why I love seeing, uh, I, I love seeing some of the gender bending and some of the switching of cultural backgrounds with some of the characters. I think it's comic book is a great medium for that, you know, and I think some people uh, don't understand that, you know, things change. That's the only constant in your life is change and it's okay. And when you're going through and you're looking at what you've done and where you're going, uh, what's something that you've been really excited about that maybe people are like, miss the boat of what the message you were trying to portray. Well, Does that make sense? All, for the beginning of that question, every day it surprises and shocks me that That's I'm awesome. doing the work that I'm doing. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not too hard to get out of bed. Quarantine yeah. aside, that has kind of put a little chinks uh, in the, in yeah. the in the deal. But um, you know, getting up and knowing that you're going to put words into Wonder Woman's mouth, or you're going to you know bring the dialogue to life for a video game, or write a um, epic story that is about either found family or about uh, control, who we give control to, or whatever the different themes are that that yeah. Um, are there in, in the stories that I'm writing. I get super excited about that. I don't, I you know, it. sitting down in front of a computer screen is not, you know, my favorite love of my life in an yeah. isolated room by myself, especially coming from a career as a hairdresser, which was more social. And even though I'm shy, it's kind of <laughs> like this weird um, personality thing that I have. And I'm super shy on the one hand, and get really anxious about speaking and, and about crowds and all that. And then on the other yeah. hand, being in a room by myself for days on end is really kind of not what I like either. Yeah. I go nuts. Um, I'm social. Yeah. I have to be out with people. <laughs> yeah. And, and a couple of years ago we did move out to uh, the country on a lake and awesome. that has helped because I can get out of the office. And if, especially if I'm feeling kind of like, Oh man, I've been in this office too long and nothing, you know, I'm just, stories just not going anywhere i can go out and kayak and i almost always get tons of ideas doing that or i could go sit out on the patio in my container garden that i've created for the first time in my life and you know take the laptop out there and and just get a little bit of a change of scenery which helps me a lot and i'm very fortunate that i can do that and i'm here with my son and um husband and we all three get along really well so that's good that makes it really nice um and you know i feel very blessed uh with that but yes every day i go oh man i cannot believe this is my life i can't believe i got to travel that was my dream <laughs> as a little girl on the farm is just getting off that farm and seeing all these exciting things that i was reading about in books yeah and that's awesome you know going to see a broadway play i majored in theater arts and college and you know, I, I always dreamed and I did theater all through um, school and I always thought oh man Broadway that would be so cool and the first time I was invited to New York Comic Con I got to go to Broadway and I literally sat down and just started sobbing because I couldn't believe that it was happening because I I dreamed of that since I was 12 yeah so you know it's really hard to complain when my life went in a different <laughs> direction than I ever, you know, than I could, I dreamt about it, but yeah. than I ever thought would happen. Especially when you grow up and people tell you that you'll never make a, a living writing. And if, if you do, it has to be journalism or something like that. You know, was was that like parents telling you that? 
parents, teachers, you know, I had some teachers that were supportive of the creative writing and and, um, really fostered it. But then you have others that just don't get it at all. And it's one of my favorite questions to ask creative people is what was your parents' reaction when you tell them you want to write comic books for a living? You know, I didn't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, I (laughs) I was writing a column on the internet and it wasn't until, um, the Bongo comics that were publishing Simpsons comics approached me about writing Simpsons comics that I even told my husband, I'm, I'm an insomniac. So I'm up at night a lot. He didn't know yeah. what I was doing. I, oh, that's um, hilarious. I had to tell him because I knew a check was going to come in the mail. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, I, I, we need to have a meeting. I still have my hair salon at this time. And I said, we need to have a meeting. Let's go to lunch. And he's thinking, Oh my God, this, she's going to tell me this is over or something, you know, she's going to do it in a public place so that I can't, you know, go completely crazy. This is what he's going through his mind. And when I, we sat down and I told him, he was like, well, of course you have to do this. And he's been supportive since day one. Oh, but that's it was awesome. terrifying Good just guy. because of the way I was raised, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and this was something that I didn't really, like, I didn't try to get a job writing Simpsons comics. It just kind yeah. of, out through a long story that I've told many times, it just happened. Sure. And, you know, I did the work and worked really hard and, and things have, you know, branched out and dominoed from there. But um, yeah, I didn't even think that would happen. And I think that if I was going to say there was something that um, I would want people to get from my work and from my career yeah. is that, Never think that you're the wrong anything. It's not so much about, you know, a particular story that I've written or anything. It's about, you know, if you have something that you want to say, or if you have something that you want to see, or you don't feel represented, then, you know, make that thing yourself. Don't, don't think that you're the wrong thing because you don't live in New York and you didn't get, you know, a certain degree in college and that you're not a certain color or a certain age or any of those things. Yeah. Um, because in the end, that's really um, not only does it get you know put yourself in your own way, but it doesn't get us, the audience, new exciting material that we haven't seen before. You know, yeah. we may not know that we want to see it, but you do because you know that you want to and haven't. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So um, taking things in new directions and new perspectives and, and, and not to be afraid of that. That's what I hope people, especially who are creative, um, take from my body of work. That's awesome. I, I, I gotta ask you this and I know you've probably been asked this question a million times and I apologize, but I'm hoping you can give me a synopsis of understanding women in refrigerators. Um, there's a part of me that feels like that conversation that should never go away at this time, because I think it's still, uh, an important topic that people should talk about more, you know, especially when it comes to representation and, and how people are, are, rep, you know, included in movies and books and, and everything in between. Right. Okay. Um, first of all, women in refrigerators was something, it was a website that, Myself, along with many friends, put together and put up asking the question, um, is the way that female characters are being treated in comics, is that why there's not a larger female audience? Yeah. Okay. So at the time, um, I I was online on message boards and things quite a bit, writing my column. And well, no, I hadn't started my column yet, the street column. I just, you know, we don't have a comic book store in my local area. And so that's how I talk to people about comics. And, and people yeah. were asking me questions about, you know, why isn't there a larger female audience in comics right now when there was in the past? And so I started thinking about it and realizing that I wasn't really reading as many comics as I had been either. Yeah. And, you know, why? I started thinking about why. And I started thinking about a lot of the storylines that had been going on that were popular and, um, and the way that they treated the female characters that I love so much and and meant so much to me. And I realized I really wasn't interested in those kind of stories. So I asked that question and then that became a list of female characters where this, is ha- this had happened to, 
where they had been. Basically what it is, is not to say that bad things can't happen to female characters. I put my female characters to hell and back all the time. (laughs) What it is, is it's doing something really violent to a female character so that a male character can vow their revenge and the story becomes about the male character and the female character is never really considered or mentioned again or barely in the story from that point. And this happens in movies, novels. It happens in lots of things. And the term has kind of grown beyond me. I've been on many panels where people will start talking about it and not realize that I'm the one who started it. Right, and start, right. You know, uh, women in refrigerators explaining me right on a panel, which is really weird. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm instantly and, thinking of and, Death Wish with Charles Bronson. Yeah. That's and what, I mean, just, it's it's like it, a perfect example of that. Yeah, and I think Gran Torino is that too. Oh, you, you know, you're right. Yeah. Um, but it it's just that um, let's be aware of it. Let's not be lazy writers and just, you know, use these kind of tropes over and over again just to get to the story that we really want to tell. Let's think, you know, let's you know, why do you need to have that female character in there if you're not going to follow her story once she's been victimized? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, over and over again is what I'm saying, you know, a story or two here and there, you know, that I'm not going to say too much about that, but when it's a trend and it's happening over and over, I think we should take a look at what we're saying. You know, if we're doing that with LGBTQ characters, what are we saying? You know, if we're doing it with black characters, what are we saying? Yeah, it's a marginalization. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, it's lazy. It's not thoughtful. It's it's a lot of things about writing that I don't. So, Gail, I got a question for you. You've had, um, you have quite the reputation, representation, or rep- what am I trying to say? Reputation, that's the word I want to say, about being incredible with fans at shows. And I myself can say that because um, I interacted with you a few times at uh, Emerald City Comic Con back when you still had a table in Artist Alley. And I remember um, one of the years, I think it was like 2015, 2014, I can't remember. Um, I came to you with my wife and we, were, we ended up talking with you for like, it had to have been like half an hour. And we're talking about my daughters, my kids. And then like the next day of the show, I brought back with my kids and you ended up talking with myself and my two daughters for got for at least an hour and signing books for them and just talking to them about, you know, Wonder Woman and Batgirl and stuff. And, and, um, my question really is, is that a common thing for you where you just sit and end up talking with people and their kids and the families about the characters and then and the writing of what you do? Is that is that common for you at shows? or? Well, I, it's common for me to talk to people at shows. It all just depends on how much time there is. Like it, sometimes the lines are really long and unfortunately, you know, we can't take a ton of time uh, per person, I guess. Yeah. But whenever I can, I I love to, especially, you know, I like to listen to what other people have to say, not so much what I have to say, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I know what I'm thinking and what I have to say, but to talk to, you know, someone who's eight or 10 and, and, and see how they respond to superheroes and different characters, or, you know, like one of the best times I remember is I had these two brothers come through my line when I was writing the new 52 Batgirl and um, it might have been in Seattle. I don't remember if it was Seattle or Chicago, but they were just adorable 10 and 11-year-old boys. And they were so excited. They stood in line for quite a while. <laughs> they were just trembling. And and they had their Batgirl comics in their hands. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, they're just getting this sign because it has a Batman appearance or something in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came up and or they came up. It was finally their turn. And I said, hey, what's your favorite thing about the convention so far? And I said, meeting you. And I'm thinking, oh, sure. You know, they're just, <laughs> you just say that to be polite, right? And they're right. just shaking and they're handing me their books. And they're like, how do you make Batgirl so badass? <laughs> and, and, I, and so then I got to talk to them a little bit about what, what they loved about Batgirl so much. Um, and I love that. You know, I don't know what that reaction is sitting at my computer in my office by myself. You know, I see people react on Twitter, but it's not the same as two young boys coming up with shaking and trembling because they're so excited because <laughs> they love Batgirl so much, you know. Um, that's awesome. You know, that's the best thing about going to conventions. Yeah. what that After the first time we met you and my, my daughters got some books signed from you, um, before the next Emerald City Comic Con was, they had me 
Uh, my oldest daughter at the time could read. My youngest daughter was still learning how to read, but um, we would read Bat- your Batgirl run um, at night. So they read a lot of those. And then by the next year, my youngest daughter, who I think at this show was like seven or eight, uh, she showed up in a cross. She, she made her own like Harley Quinn Batgirl costume. And she was super excited to come show it to you because <laughs> she remembered you from the year before yeah. talking about Batgirl and stuff. And it just, it was adorable. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> Gail wonder woman Conan. I got to tell you, that was one of my favorite reads of 2018. Or was that 2017? I don't know. I'd have to look. Yeah. <laughs> to w- be was honest, that, w- was that supposed to be a limited issue series or were you hoping to continue that longer than what was it? Eight issues, seven issues or six it, or eight? It was always supposed to be limited. Those crossovers usually are, especially when they're separate companies yeah. um, like that. But I'm telling you, I loved doing Wonder Woman Conan. At first I was like, how am I going to make this work? You know, these two things don't really belong together. Um, And what, but once I asked if we could have Aaron as the artist and he said, yes, then it just became all that much more fun because I knew (laughs) he loves barbarians. The art was fantastic. Wonder Woman. And, you know, as soon as I saw him design the, core of a day i was like okay this is gonna be so much fun and i love the puzzle piece you know putting those pieces together on how to try to make things work i i don't always take um assignments because i know they're going to sell really high or it's going to be a huge money maker sometimes well a lot of times i take them for the challenge or to see if it could be done or you know can we fit these puzzle pieces together to where it works i like that part of storytelling quite a lot. And so um, sitting down and thinking about Conan and Wonder Woman together was just really intriguing to me. And once I realized how I thought it could be done and make sense, then I just went with it. And Aaron told me later, he's like, man, that script. I'm like, what? And he goes, I thought this was just going to be another dumb crossover, but I was going to get to do, you know, barbarian stuff yeah and he said God, you really told a, a really interesting story and and made it work and he said it just wasn't what i expected at all and and it was just such a great compliment from aaron because he's a great storyteller in his own right and um and just the way he did the art i think having him be interested in it too just took that up even more notches than than normal yeah, Aaron Lepresti's art is fantastic. Yes. And he knocked it out of the park on that. I I think what I loved about it is as I was reading it, I didn't know if it was Diana Prince. I knew it was she was a Wonder Woman, she was yeah. an Amazon, but I didn't know if she was the Wonder Woman. And then when you <laughs> you know, and then when she is, you're like, oh, I I don't know, man. You you I thought that whole series was so good. And I couldn't wait to read each one as it came out. And you know. As you get older and you start doing other things, it's hard to spend time reading a bunch of comic books, you know? And so it has to be something special. It has to be something that really grabs my attention to keep me coming back. And yours kept me coming back. So, yeah, I I really, really appreciated that. I remember asking Aaron one time how old he was when he knew that he wanted to draw. Yeah. I ask that question sometimes and I know how old I was when I want, when I knew I wanted to write. Yeah. So I asked him, I said, how old were you? And he said, I knew what, I think he told me three. I can't remember if it was awesome. two, three or four, but that's how young yeah. he was when he knew that he, there was something there that he had that other people didn't have and that that's what he wanted to do. Isn't it funny how people find their passion? Like we've talked to people that like, I never knew I wanted to do comic books. I never even read comic books. I was growing up. And then somebody saw my art and asked me to to do this. And then I just fell in love. And then we had people <laughs> like Eric Larson on that was just like, I never knew a time in my life that I didn't want to draw comic books. Yeah. Some people are just compelled. And I think, you know, that, that was that, I was that way with writing and words yeah. and it just kind of got, ta- I kind of got talked out of it over time, which is really a terrible thing to do to a kid. Yeah. Um, so I encourage people out there who have children to, you know, try to help your kids, you know, find their passion and, and do what they can with encourage. it. Sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's doing, it just, you know, it just going to depend on who I, they are. I, but. When my kid comes to me, she's six and I'm like, 
she says, I want to try this. Let's do it. If she doesn't like it, I don't sit there and try to force her to, to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd rather I'm- have her try different things until she finds something that's just, she complete falls head over heels for. Yeah. I think that's kind of the job of a parent is to yeah. let them be exposed to anything and everything that they want to and, and then um, find their path. But yeah, anyway, I knew really young. I was asked in an interview one time how old I was when I wrote a story that I was really proud of. Yeah. And I said third grade and the person doing the interview about fell over because she she said most people say like 30 (laughs) or 40 or 50 or I haven't yet or whatever. (laughs) Right. Actually, let's expand on that. What is your favorite comic book storyline that you've written? And (sighs) let's throw out the last one you did just so that (sighs) we we can't make it easy on you. I'd say, you know, it's so hard because I've just been so blessed with being able to write so many amazing characters, but I'm really super proud of Wonder Woman, the circle. Um, I think I've spoken the most like at universities and um, different academic things about that particular story. Yeah. And um, it was one of those times where I've been asked to write Wonder Woman quite a few times um, since I had started writing comics regularly and I always turned it down and um, it wasn't until I was writing JLA classified and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez was the artist and his pencils came in with Wonder Woman and I was like oh yeah that's the Wonder Woman I want to write and um, that's cool later um, you know I said yes but it still took me eight months of thinking about know what the tone how i how i would approach it all those kinds of things yeah and um, that's a long time for me to take really yeah and um i decided that you know well i'm going to make this completely female um you know i this is an island of women where only one woman is allowed to give birth or have a daughter not give birth but have a daughter and you know what what would the dynamics be? And I just started thinking about all the different feminine themes um, and uh, what it would be like to be raised by all women and, you know, all those things like at a really deep level. And so that arc is very full of, of a lot of different themes. And I was um, at a panel one time just watching and they were doing an academic um, dissection of Wonder Woman, the circle. And they were talking about how the, um, role reversals were in her dating life and of course you know i asked for those on purpose yeah but a lot of people hadn't really brought it up before but when people started studying that story deeply and pulling out all the different themes that and and stuff that i go through mentally when i'm working on the story and writing it and describing things to the artist and all that um you know most people don't get all of that and to have it um really pulled out like that it's it made me realize that um it truly was a different approach at that time is is it weird to have people dissecting your work and being in a in a hall with a bunch (laughs) of people saying what does she mean by this and asking you questions (laughs) about things (laughs) it's very weird and especially at first but you know i really have the attitude that once the work is out there and published it's up to the reader to interpret it. And so sometimes, you know, it really shows people's perspective on how they interpret something you've written. Um, I would say most people do get, you know, get it, but then there are people who come from such a totally different perspective or background that they really read into it. Things that I did not put in there. Right. And I find that interesting, but you know, I, because I feel that, you know, reading is a personal experience and what you get out of it is, is for you yourself. Um, I don't interfere with that too much unless I'm asked, you know? Yeah. Do you, do, have you ever had anybody have a perspective of your writing where you went, wow, that's not what I was thinking in my head when I wrote it, but I like how you thought about it. Um, mostly what I remember just off the top of my head when you ask that question is people thinking that I hate men. Because I write, I, I write. I read your I stuff. Write, you know, I hate men that have lives. I guess, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, God forbid you have a life. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I just want to put it out there. No, I don't hate men. I love men. I love my husband. I'm married to a man and I have a son and a brother and, and father and, you know, many friends who are men. It's not that this is just about telling a story from, you know, there's a, there's a difference between telling a story from, let's just say, Black Canary's perspective yeah. than telling a story about Black Canary basically from Oliver's I'm you sorry, know what can I'm you saying? The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I think it's, I, I, I read your stuff. There's no way you can interpret that you hate men. I, I think that's somebody, <laughs> that's somebody that has an agenda or they want to read it that way. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Because I my dad passed away when I was 15. So I never had an adult relationship with him. So my growing that the point where I hit puberty and become a man was all was all surrounded by strong women. My mom who's still alive, thank God is, was the, the patriarch or the matriarch, so to speak. And then my, my sister who had her son and became a single parent and worked as a waitress, put herself through school and got a job and did all that by herself. And then my other sister with her three kids and working through and not having, you know what I mean? All I saw was strong women in my life. And so when I read things, I think maybe I, I look at it a little differently that I don't believe in the he-man, the, the she, he-man hating clever. How do you say that? That, you know, you get what I'm saying though. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's an old, I mean, they actually say it in the Flintstones. I was like, oh, it's the yeah, first time yeah. you hear about it. And it's women that hate men. That's basically what it comes down to. And having a strong female protagonist um, to me is no different. It should be no different than having a strong male protagonist. You know, they're it's, it's the representation that you're, you're pulling through is always a good thing. And I don't know. I, it's true. I, but, you know, if you think about historically, and you start thinking about like the difference between what maybe I was exposed to growing up or my husband exposed to growing up in terms of female characters and what our son was exposed to. There's a world of difference. You can talk about feminism and women's rights and all of those things, all you want. But when you're reading, when the fiction of your time is basically telling you that female characters have to have their adventures thrust upon them, they can't make their own choices. Right. Versus like Lara Croft and Tomb Raider or Xena or, you know, right. uh, Buffy even, you know, these types of characters that you're, you know, when you're exposed to the first type compared to the second type, you're going to have a different attitude. Yeah. Um, and this is what, why culture is so important and why representation is so important and all those things is because. You know, we say things with our fiction and our entertainment, whether it's, and I'm not talking about preaching things. I'm talking about, you know, what society thinks is sexy for a man or sexy for a woman or, or smart for a man or a woman or whatever, you know, if it's just constantly reflected as the same thing over and over and over again in our entertainment that we're being, you know, consuming all the time, you know, and we're not resisting that, then you're going to end up with, you know, uh, books where Wonder Woman's depowered and no longer, you know, the bit badass that she should be. I like it. That's that's a perfect explanation. I mean, because I, I don't know. I tell people all the time, like Supergirl on TV on the CW. That show's not made for me, you know. And I watch it, and and it at, when I first started watching it, I, I you know, I I didn't like it. I didn't like the the. I just didn't like it. I don't really have a good reason for it. But then, you know, I started watching it with uh, with with my six year old, and she liked it. And I started looking at it differently. You know, started looking at it to where how she was looking at the show, and how all of the most of the heroes are women on that show, and and they do a good job of of being independent. I don't I don't know how else to put it. And it, it's, it's a good thing. I'll say this. The only thing I don't like on that show is it's not that I don't like him as a person or as an actor is the guy playing Jimmy Olsen. And it's not because it's, it's, it's not changing him to a black guy. It's he's too manly for Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> I want my Jimmy seen- Olsen to be the skinny pipsqueak nerdy camera guy, you know, yeah. 
that happens to us too. You know, we get our idea of what characters are supposed to be. Um, but when they branch out into other mediums, we have to kind of let that yeah. go a bit, I think. Yeah, you got to let it go. And then it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gail, what is your definitive Wonder Woman? Who who wrote yeah. your definitive Wonder Woman? Um, Good question. I would say, Why? <laughs> I would say the Wonder Woman film. Yeah. Um, I you know I am a huge fan of like George Perez. I absolutely adore his run. He was my Wonder Woman guy. Um, I like many other uh, Wonder Woman stories throughout time, but I think that the film grabbed the best of those stories you can see in that film that they took stuff from Perez from Rucka from myself from uh Phil you know just you can see it there and I think that that I'm so glad that the, that the world got to see that yeah do you Me think Gal Gadot just nailed it I do I do because um you know one thing that that um I wasn't a fan of is that wonder woman sometimes just had no sense of humor at all. Everything was just so dour. And I just felt like, you know, someone who's graceful and compassionate and all the things that she is, I just felt that they would, that she would have, you know, a way of looking at things that, that would be a little bit of a sense of humor sometimes. So I love that she got all of those you know, the strength, the compassion, the dedication, the determination, the defiance, humor, um, and not, not a one-dimensional character at all. I think that she, that that film communicated so many things in the short amount of time, actually. Yeah. I love it. I'm excited for Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me <laughs> like too. I can't get here fast <laughs> enough. I mean, because 2020 has been so dreary. And I just want something fun and light and, you know. Which... <laughs> we watched the Bill and Ted face the music the other oh, night. Oh, yeah, I watched that last night. What did you think? <laughs> we were all so relieved just to feel good about something. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I loved it. I was like, this is a Bill and Ted movie. I mean, you know, I was yeah. so worried that they'd try to do some kind of update and make it more than it is. and You know what I mean? But it was just zany, just like yeah, all the, just like the other two. They what worked. I loved yep, it. Yep, yep. I loved it. I mean... Man, it's it's hard to see Keanu and and Bill Prest in um, Alex Winter age like that. You know what I mean? They're just so much older, and it's just like, oh, where's my youth? <laughs> it's in the past. <laughs> so you did some work on with Marvel. Do you want to do? Would you like to do some more Marvel characters, or are you a? Do you, do you really love, like working on the DC I universe? I love a lot of Marvel characters, and I also love. Um, you know, how you can tell stories that are based in more real world um, yeah. with a lot of the Marvel characters. Um, and I absolutely loved, loved doing the Domino comic and Hot Shots comic and found, you know, a great art team that you know, we so want to do yeah, Domino our was own great. stuff together because we like working together so much. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, no, everything's on the table. Just has to yeah. be the right timing, the right, you know situations etc nice well gail i think we've we've come to a conclusion (laughs) okay (laughs) great (laughs) yeah well before you go i want to make sure people understand to get out there check out and look up the red sonia omnibus and the wonder woman omnibus i think you guys are going to really love uh what's how they look and what's in there because also all good me, stuff. I don't mean to interrupt, but also oh, please do. for the Canary collections that are coming out. Yes. Yes. That's going to be amazing. Yes. What actually, before you go, what was it like working on birds of prey and the fact that your work on birds of prey is mostly touted as the definitive work for birds of prey. I don't know if I can say birds of prey more, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Birds of prey, birds of prey. Birds of prey completely changed my life. I you know, love it. so I'm always gonna feel just like that special place for it, you know. And I, I'm I'm still writing stories that are, you know, with 
the characters in Birds of Prey here and there. I can't really talk about too much, but yeah, you know, I still had my hair salon when I first started writing Birds of Prey comic book. Um, that this was something that I didn't know that I could do, but I knew that I had an idea how I thought it should go, and that I wanted to prove something. And since I had a career and could pay my bills with the career I had, I didn't worry too much about whether or not it was going to be accepted or I was going to be fired or any of those things. I decided that I wanted to tell a story that was basically a buddy cop with women who have nice. extraordinary abilities. And, um, and I told Dan DiDio at the time, I said, I'm going to prove to you that Black Canary should be the number two female character for DC Comics after Wonder Woman and not just Oliver. And he was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they let <laughs> me do it, basically, you know. And um, he would even say, you know, the thing that I like about it is it's from a completely different perspective, which just shows you how much it was needed to have people from all walks of life and all different perspectives, you know, but, you know, it changed my life in terms of that was the book that I finally, you know, I wrote it long enough that it finally convinced me that I didn't have to keep my hair salon in order to pay my bills. And, you know, DC kept renewing my exclusive contract for like eight. I was exclusive with them for eight years Wow. Um, is that and, normal for them to do that? Pardon me? Do you think, is that normal for them to extend it that many times that long? Um, I don't know if it's normal or not because I didn't really ask around, but it didn't yeah. seem normal to me for me in my life. It just <laughs> seemed like, you know, after the second or third, I can't remember exactly. Cause I kept like cutting hours from my salon as I was getting more writing. Yeah. Um, and awesome. so the second or third exclusive contract that I signed with DC, I finally came to the point because I was terrified. I was terrified. Yeah. I couldn't earn a living writing. I had been told that my entire life by nearly everyone. Oh, um, boo. So I thought, you know, this contract is, I think it was a two year, a two year one. Um, and I thought, you know, this would be the time to see, if I can consistently earn a living writing. Um, and so I went ahead and signed that contract, uh, sold my salon stuff and went full time. And it was terrifying for me, even though I'd been writing for like six years, pretty consistently. Um, by that point, I still told people I was a hairdresser that I know in my life, you know, <laughs> tell them I was a professional writer that came much later. Um, so, you know, birds of prey, being able to write that is what made that happen for me. It got me out from, even though I love my job as a hairdresser, I liked my clients and my salon. Yeah. I always wanted to travel and write and it got me out from behind the chair and traveling and writing. So birds of prey. That's wonderful. Leap game changer for me. That's a wonderful story. I like that because it just shows that you took a leap of faith and I did. Man, and I'm I did so glad you did. writing. Simpsons comics too, because I didn't think I could do that. Who, who, who the hell can do that? You know? <laughs> How did you write a Simpsons? <laughs> How do you put yourself in the mindset to write a Simpsons comic? Oh my God, I loved it. You know, pretending to be Bart or Lisa, it was awesome. Yeah. But um, on getting the cadence of the dialogue and stuff, I, I loved that challenge, but I was terrified of it. I just, but then I told myself, when is anyone ever going to offer this to me again? They won't. So yeah. if I'm going to try, I need to try. And that's what I encourage people to to put in their mind when something comes up that you just feel kind of overwhelmed. Like I was offered a job recently that I feel, I don't, I, I can't do that, <laughs> but you know, I'm probably going to take the leap of faith and try it anyway. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you did because I, I love sitting here and getting a chance to chat with you and go over everything. Cause um, yeah. <laughs> and I think you've been an important and honestly, Gail, not not blowing smoke. I think I honestly believe, and I think Johnny feels the exact same way, that you're a very important writer in today's comic book world. And we need more yes. people that are open to 
try and do things a little differently and to bring a little levity to what the comic book world is. So thank you. Uh, and a very important voice online. And we need people at the top doing the hiring and the publishing and making those decisions to be yeah. on board with that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, love I agree. hundred percent. Wonder Woman Omnibus, Red Sonia <laughs> Omnibus. I can't stress it enough. Go check it out. You're going to be really, really pleased. Um, all your work with Black Canary, everybody, please go check out what Gail's been doing because it's wonderful. Gail, I hope you had a good time. I did. And thank you guys so much for all your support and being positive about comics. Oh, yeah. It, it means a lot. Oh, it means a lot that you wanted to come on and, and actually hang out with us and and get nerdy with us for, for, for an hour <laughs> and just uh, sit back and, and enjoy some, converse, some conversation. The only way to make it better if I had a, a little thing of scotch next to me, <laughs> you know, maybe if I could go back in time and say, I got my hair cut by Gail Simone. <laughs> I want that t-shirt. <laughs> no one's had a haircut forever. Now this is the longest in my life I've ever gone. Yeah. Oh, do you, you know, do you give your, your husband haircuts? Well, he's in sore need. And so is my um, son right now too. Yeah. But, yeah. We're all just like, eh, we're home, whatever. Put on the right. sweats, put in the ponytail. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm scared to go to the hairdresser. That's yeah, why too. I haven't gone. I absolutely adore and love my hairdresser, but I also know how close and intimate that is. Yeah. From, you know, experience. Yeah. And I, if I had still had a hair salon, I would close it. I, I'm right starting now. looking like a lumberjack that's been out in the woods for eight months. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> I was, when we we're getting on, I was, uh, we we're on Zoom. So everybody knows that we we're getting on. I was like, where's my webcam? I hope she, do, if she wants to do video, then I could have my, I hope she doesn't want to do video because I'm just not prepared <laughs> for video right now. <laughs> and then when well, your husband got on, I said, hey, she does, we're just, gonna, we're just doing audio, right? We're like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only consolation is I think most of us are in the same right now exactly yeah and also i know as a hairdresser how um some people are so wrapped up in the way that their hair looks that it actually defines them so i'm wondering you know when we all come out of this (laughs) if that's (laughs) going to change for some people or if it will have gotten worse or what? It's just right. Well, did you see that thing in Italy where the mayors of the respective towns were going on TV and yelling at their constituents for having hairdressers go to their house right in the like when Italy was at saw the worst in the pandemic? If you haven't seen it, go onto YouTube. It's pretty epic. And Google wow. Italian. I think it's Italian. Just maybe public officials or maybe mayors or you know yelling <laughs> at like their constituents. Me, just put it in a ponytail. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, they were like, "Are you stupid?" They they railed their 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 people. It was it's hilarious, and you you watch it, you're like, it is full on the parent yelling at the kids. You know what I mean? And just so flabbergasted with the audacity of these people to bring hairdressers into their homes when we have a pandemic. People are dying in the streets, and they're swearing up and down. It is hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious, but it's hilarious. That's how people view their hair. Um, we'll talk about this in a year. We'll see. There you go. I like it. That's that's a date, Gail. You're coming back on in a year. So everybody okay. heard it just now. I, we'll I talk got about you. how people feel about their hair. <laughs> we'll do a full episode on hair. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be perfect. <laughs> All right. Was that really the best one? No, that will come back. Was, like, it was good. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it and see if I can yeah. mimic it. It was like, whoa. I can't even do it, man. It was just so good. <laughs> see, I do a couple things right. Yeah. Well, one or two. One or two. <laughs> and we're back. Oh, you just got it, man. I was like just <laughs> taking a breath to say it. And I was like, oh, you, you so-and-so. Right. What people don't know is we always try and battle for who's, who gets to say, and we're back. And it's yeah. always, yeah, yeah, they've heard. But no, Gail Simone, she was fantastic. She was a lot of fun. She was. She was. And I did the trick of telling Johnny I had to go to the restroom so he would ask questions. And it worked. 
It did, but I. But when I came back, when you came back, I legitimately had to go pee. I never went anywhere. I was there the whole time. I know time. you don't. I know you don't. I know you never go anywhere. Well, no, no, not always. Sometimes I really do go somewhere because that's why. Because it keeps you on your toes. Because you can go. Oh, he didn't go anywhere, and then not say anything, and I would. I would pick up because I'd be like, well, I'm not gonna let the person sit there. But then you'll do that the one time I do go. And right. you're like, oh shit, he's not there. <laughs> oh, he really, he's really gone. No, no, it was fine. I mean, Gail's great. I, I her well, stories I just are knew good. that you wouldn't say anything because, for people to know, Johnny gets a little starstruck sometimes. Well, that I don't want. I don't want to interrupt. I don't like yeah. because you you always get in this great cadence with the person we're talking to, and I don't yeah. want to interrupt and, and break that flow because I've done That's that before. True. Even though I can ask a good question, yep. it breaks the flow of the conversation. I don't like that. Well, so and I just, know that she's one of your favorite writers of all time, though. She really is. Yeah, yeah she really That's is. why I was like, well, because you were the first one that brought to my attention women in refrigerators. Yep. I didn't even know yep. what that was. I had no clue what that was. Yeah, which is why I believe Gail Simone is definitely one of the people who have changed the face of comics in the last yep. 20 years. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's cool, man. And she's it just so cool. nice. It's like, yeah, are you kidding? And I love the fact that she took chances in her life and people told her no, that you can't do that. And she tried anyways. And I think that's an important message for people to, to follow what they're passionate about. You know, and even though she went on and become a hairdresser, she still had it in her mind that she wanted to do this thing. Yeah. And what'd she do? She went after it. Yeah. And she's one of the greats, one of the greats of our generation of comics. Yeah. And did, she's, she's put out so much good stuff in the past and she continues to write great stuff. Yep. Did you like my very first question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is 1974 the greatest year of all time? <laughs> she just, I, I think that threw her for a loop. <laughs> that was great. That was great. I mean. You're not wrong. It's a good year. It's not as good as 82, but it's a good year. It's a good year. Oh, I see. I see what you did there. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I, I really hope that someday next year, sometime, whatever, we can get, we can get her to come back on and, and, and talk about some more stuff. Um, Dude, I don't know how the- I almost did not ask her about Birds of Prey. Dude, It was like to, right I, there. I was like, <laughs> how did I not ask her about Birds of Prey? <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole episode with her just about Birds of Prey because yeah. it's such a, a – her run is such an iconic run. Yeah. Yep. Not just for her, or not just for the series, but also for her. What did you take away from that interview? Um, something, did you did you learn something new that you didn't know before? Because you knew quite a bit about her. Yeah, I, not, I mean, I knew she was a hairdresser before that. I knew kind of the, starting with The Simpsons and getting into Birds of Prey and going to Deadpool yeah. and stuff like that. We didn't, we didn't even talk about Deadpool, but she wrote one of the greatest runs of Deadpool that's out there. Um, and Agent X for Marvel. Uh, but, I mean, I, and like I said, I've talked to Gail Simone agnosium at shows for a long, you know, long periods of time. Cause there were times we get there and there'll be nobody at it. It's like before she, I mean, she was already a, a household name, but it was before right. comic cons really blew up to where every artist table has a line, you know, right. which it is nowadays. And you could actually sit and talk to somebody. That's how I met Carl Kessel. Is I, would go to, I went to a met him at Emerald city and got to just stand and talk to him for like two or three hours. And I did the same thing with Gail Simone. It's kind yeah. of how I first interacted with them. So go stand in Mike Allred's line. God dang man. Oh every God. time, every comic convention I go to, that dude's got a line out the door. Oh, I know. He's got some I know. rabid fans. Right, right. Well, and like, so I mean, I, I already, what I took away from this is that Gail still, is still just an amazing person. Yeah. And any of you, anybody out there who's like, you know, trolling at her on Twitter is just, one, they don't know what they're up against because she's she's probably one of the best internet trolls out there when it comes to Twitter. <laughs> um, she puts those guys in their place, guys and gals, whoever's coming at her with the stupid crap so but she's easily. She's such a nice person. I don't understand why you want to come after her. Right. I, I right, mean, she's, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Just let it go. Are. Right, right, and she's so funny too. I mean, yeah, I don't know. She's amazing. Yeah, we're just I love her. That. At this point, we're just gushing. We're just gushing. <laughs> Gail, we want you to come back on and talk to us more about anything, hairdressing stuff. I don't care. Give us the best tips for, oh, no, for you hair. Heard I don't her. Care. She's coming back on in a year. Yeah, let's talk about hair. I said, hey, <laughs> that's a date, Gail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be we'll there. We'll be there. <laughs> All righty. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Gail Simone. You know, we did, you know, we did. And, (laughs) you know, not a ton of podcasts get her to come on like that and just get free time to sit and talk about her career, talk about some of the stuff that she loves. I think that was my favorite thing. I didn't know that Gal Gadot's performance in in the Wonder Woman movie is her favorite Wonder Woman ever. I thought that was really cool. And, you know. God, I don't know. You're just not going to get that in a lot of places, but you get that here at Spoiler Country and you want more things like that, go to spoilerverse.com. Check out our back issues. 
There's a ton there for you to enjoy. And there's a lot of cool people that we've talked to a lot. Are you a John uh, Wick talk- fan? We yeah. completely talked to Chad Stahelski, the director of all three John Wicks. And it was amazing. Oh, man. That's so cool. That's so cool. And while you're there, and there's so many other great interviews we have, we have other great podcasts, too, that have their yeah, own shows do. coming out you know, every day, every other day, every week. And you know, go check all those out and check out our articles and our previews and our reviews. There's, there's so much stuff happening on this Willivers.com website that you need to go check it out because there's something there for everybody. And there's also a store where you can pick up a t-shirt or a hoodie <laughs> or a face mask. And, and, and what do I say, Kenrick? <laughs> there's also a store. Get your yeah. shit. Look fly as hell. <laughs> there you go. Do that. We get a couple of dollars. Help us pay the bills because, yeah. you know, this stuff ain't free for us. Da, but da, da, it's free bills, for you. Y'all. That's right. That's right. So do that. And share it around, man. I, I don't, we don't say that enough. But share yeah. our show around because that's how, and that's how new people find the show. Yep. Let people know. If you like it, share it. Somebody else is going to like it. So there you go. Hey, you know what's coming out before we go? What's that? What's coming out? Dude, Andrew Sumner. Just Sumner to his friends. Got a brand new show coming out early next year. And the the guests that he's compiling are going to blow you away. Oh, man. And the new show is going to be called what? It's called Hard Agree with Sumner. That's right. And it's going to be awesome. And if you don't know who Sumner is, Go to Planet 42, ForbiddenPlanet42.com. Yeah. Just or you go to YouTube, type in Forbidden Planet. Or yep. if you want to hear him talk to us, just go to Spoilerverse.com. And in that search bar, just type in Sumner. And you can hear his seven episodes where we talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's awesome. <laughs> he is awesome. He's, we have so great. much fun. All right, guys. We're out of here. That's a show. That's a show. Yeah. I'm putting my money down. I don't even know what that means. I, I it don't sounds know. like I'm paying a hooker. <laughs> I'm putting my money down. What? <laughs> Put my money on the dresser. That's so bad. I'm putting my money on the dresser. That's what almost came out of my mouth. I'm like, what that's, am I saying? <laughs> given the guests we had on today, that's a very bad statement. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Tell us how you really feel, Kenrick. Jesus. Right? Such a dork. All right, guys. Oh. We're out of here. I'm taking my headset off. That's there you go. What I should be saying. That's what I meant. But before we go, there's actually only one more thing left to do. Yeah, what's that? The oceans of podcasts. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open your mind. Read more. <laughs> Did you say the mind by sitting here this time? I want to be more personal. There you go. Be a little bit more There you go. Seriously, though. Read some more damn Jesus Christ. Perfectly one time, Gail Simone. I took you